Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Coach McGoats. And it's your boy, New Pratt. And we are bringing you another episode of the Idealistic Podcast. Yay! Yes, yes, yes. I'm and sure y'all perhaps. have missed us, right, uh, for the past, like, almost three months. Uh, yeah. We've been on a little hiatus because it's this thing called COVID-19 that's yeah. out there to try to mess up some stuff. She tried to come through Ms. and, Rona. you know, mess up everything that we were doing. Uh, but we are back. And, and we're back for what, Courtney? We're back for some important types of issues that have happened yeah. since we last talked to y'all. Yeah, so we were thinking, we actually had a discussion, Rodney and I, about bringing the podcast back just because of everything that's going on um, in the world right now in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we thought that it was necessary to come up with some emergency episodes so that we can unpack the things that are happening, how it is affecting the Black community, how it is affecting the Philadelphia community, um, and the Temple community itself as well. And so today, oh, did you want to? Oh, <laughs> no. Hey, you on a roll right there. I, I was just going to say, I mean, it was our perfect intent, right, of the Idealistic Podcast to have these very difficult dialogues and to encourage change out there. Uh, so, um, you know, Coach McGoats is about to, uh, you know, introduce our wonderful and fabulous next special guest um, as we continue to dwell into this notion of Black Lives Matter. Yes. If you will all help me welcome Dr. Tafina Archie of the Ideal Office, the Institutional Diversity, Equity, Advocacy, and Leadership Office. Claps, claps, claps. Yay, yay, yay. 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 Super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's wonderful to have you here. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great. I'm excited. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to talk to y'all. Like, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'm glad. We're excited. Okay, so before this is my we... first podcast. I do want to say that it's my first podcast. Nice. Oh goodness, We're glad I hope it's you're not my us. last. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, and we, as we invite all of our guests here, we ask them to be their very raw and authentic and vulnerable self. So you are in a mm-hmm. very brave and safe environment here with us. Yes. All right. That's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> and so before we dive in, we just want to put out our typical disclaimer. So please note that the views and opinions given on this podcast are reflective of the individual identities of each person present. We are all speaking from our own personal experiences and look to represent ourselves in the most authentic ways possible. This in no way, shape, or Form reflects the views of Temple University. <laughs> so just, just keep that in <laughs> mind um, as the conversations go on. And I'll extend that as well. It doesn't reflect the Office of Institutional Diversity, Equity, Advocacy, yes. and Leadership, although we do have the fabulous Assistant <laughs> Vice President here today. So she's reflecting that notion, um, yeah. but the hosts of this show do not necessarily. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Rodney, I checked in with Tiff, but Rodney, how are you feeling today? (laughs) You know, I'm feeling really okay. I'm feeling okay. It's been taxing uh, these last few months uh, and dealing with Miss Rona running around as well. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I have not had uh, or contracted, you know, COVID-19. So that's a blessing. But uh, it's been very tiring in dealing with a pandemic as well as this racial pandemic, too, uh, you know, that's been going on, too. So, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. I think. Uh, go I was gonna say, how about you? Um, you know, <laughs> it's been it's been interesting. You know, making the shift to working from home, and you know, our office, the profile of our office, having raised in in the midst of everything that's happening um, in terms of the black community, um, even 
the uh, Asian community as COVID numbers spiked and xenophobia um, incidents were taking place and all that good kind of stuff. It was it was a little overwhelming, I would say, at first making the transition um, to a more secluded lifestyle <laughs> in the midst of Corona. Um, but I think now that we're opening back, I don't even know if it's a good thing that we're opening back up. But with us opening back up, I think that it's starting to feel like things are, are going a little bit back to normal. And so that's that's a comforting thing, knowing that um, life is going to, you know, make a shift a little bit back to the way things were, but with some adjustments. So I'm hopeful and I'm um, I'm excited to see what's, what's going to happen in these next couple of months. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess we could start off by talking about. Hmm. I guess we can start off talking about just things that you've seen recently in the Black Lives Matter movement, things you've seen recently in the way that racial structures have been changing and been challenged in america like how how is everybody feeling um being that all of us identify as as black people um currently like how are we how are we digesting what's what's currently going on in the world yeah i mean i feel like i have well you know so this isn't new right like this racial kind of conflict and i think what's kind of really interesting about the, you know, in particular, and I don't know if it was the confluence of like the murder of George Floyd and Ahmed Albury and Breonna Taylor, and maybe the proximity of them to each other. Um, but this seems to have landed a little bit differently for folks, right? Um, and particularly folks outside the black community, right? This is nothing new for folks like right. in, the, in the black community, right? Like this is kind of our reality. We hear these stories you know, day in and day out about the assault on black bodies that never make the national news, right? And nobody ever hears mm -hmm. about them. You know, the brother who's assaulted, you know, in, 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 on the corner or something. Um, but I think this is definitely landing differently for, you know, folks outside the black community. Uh, I don't know if it's, and I don't know if COVID-19 is impacting this, like mm -hmm. folks are home and they're consuming more media maybe you know they're just being more uh philosophical and more thoughtful um but this is landing i feel like differently for people um and so that gives me a little sense of what i call like guarded optimism that maybe this time will will be different mm -hmm. and that people will um really step up you know and be allies you know, um, and, and confronting, you know, this, this anti-racism, this an really it's anti-blackness, yeah. right? And, and being mm -hmm. voices of change, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I, you know, I don't want to be back here in like two years, right? Having the mm -hmm. same conversation, like how we were after, you know, Michael Brown and uh, Tamir Rice and like Trayvon Martin, you know, we get this energy and we get riled up and, you know, folks outside the community get riled up and, you know, they want to do things and move forward and make change. And then it's like people throw up their hands and they're, and, and they're over it. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that people don't throw up their hands and say, you know, they're over it. Uh, Cause we really have to work to stop this, 
you know, really this assault on like black bodies and, and black lives. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, frustrated that here we are again, right. You know, the loss of black life, um, you know, here we are again with people really upset and wanting to do things, but I'm hoping that this will be, um, the beginning of the real change that we need to kind of do and to make, you know, to dismantle really racism, anti-blackness, and, you know, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So, so and as a follow-up to that, uh, so Tiff is, uh, by trade, a sociologist here. So I'm going to ask you to get into your, uh, you yes. know, your profession here, I'll to say the least. <laughs> okay, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I'm, you know, rewinding us back to the 1960s, right, when um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, was doing all of this uh, work, uh, as well as folks like uh, Maker Evers and Malcolm okay. X, those other unspoken folks as well. I want to honor them. Uh, but I'm wondering, because I feel what you're saying, and I hear what you're saying, but I'm also wondering, how do we really impact change in some type of way? Because I believe those same individuals probably said exactly what you just said today, that this time is different. You know, when we saw what was happening on those TVs and in those newspapers, this is much different now. We're going to make change, but we continue to be on the same cycle over and over. Any thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah. So I really do think that part of the conversation and part of the understanding is that I feel like people are, finally starting to understand this notion of systems, right? Like I always got the sense that people thought like even in the civil rights, like was about like, well, if I'm just good to people, like that's going to end like racism, right? Like we're just all nice and kind to each other. Um, And I think that people are really starting to understand the conversation about systems, right? Like how this thing is systemic. And I feel like it's a different conversation than what was happening like in the 60s. And they were, I mean, they were talking about systems, right? Like they were talking about like Mm -hmm. class oppression. They were talking about like, right, those are systems. Um, But I think there's been some growth and some education, even how we kind of approach this work as talking more about systems. And so, you know, when I I was having a conversation with somebody last week when we were talking about like white privilege and how that man's for people. And people are like, I don't have any privilege. And it's like, we have to stop talking about like white privilege as being this individual kind of thing. It's Mm -hmm. a systemic thing, right? So talk about like white privilege as a system. Talk about, um, you know, racism as a system. Talk about the ways that anti-blackness shows up in systems. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's a more concerted kind of effort to really change that conversation and educate around systems that I don't know was was happening, you know, like in the like in the 60s, like they got it, but I'm not sure the language was there Mm -hmm. for people outside Mm -hmm. that small little core group Mm -hmm. to understand what all that meant. And so Mm -hmm. I guess that's why I'm little because, you know, the conversation is now like people are now understanding that even now, like people are understanding this thing about like police brutality. It's not about individual police officers. It's about that entire system. And I'm hearing that conversation happen in ways that it wasn't happening, like even with Eric Garner, right? Mm -hmm. It was literally the same situation. Cop, knee on his neck, I cannot breathe, right? Came out of that. There's still a very different kind of conversation around understanding that these things are, these are just a couple bad apples. Right, and you're still hearing that narrative today. Oh, those are just bad apples. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're also hearing is that people like, no, there is something problematic with the system. 
It's mm-hmm. about training. It's about recruitment. It's about like resources. So it's a very different conversation. And I almost feel like the work didn't end. It's just taken all that time, right? Yeah. From the yeah. 1960s to now to get un- people to understand and to think about things, not on this micro level, but mm-hmm. a macro level. And mm-hmm. I'm going to shout out to my sociologist folks because that's what they do, right? <laughs> so I think some of it is the work that the field itself has been doing, but other disciplines and fields as well. Yeah, I would, I would also like to speak to that as well because when I think back to the civil rights movement, I think about the very intentional assassinations of all of the leaders that came out of that time. You know, when we think about um, the leader of the Black, pa- Black Panthers, mm-hmm. um, Huey, and then, you know, Malcolm X. And, you know, I just read or I just watched something about how the uh, Coretta Scott King sued Mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. government for mm-hmm. the assassination of Martin Luther King. And that is not something that you're taught in, in history books. And so it's like, it was very intentional, the removal of all of the the right. leaders within our movement. And so once it started to crumble, I don't think that people really knew what, what way to turn in order to continue on the work that they were doing, because all of the people that they knew to be at the front, forefront of it were dying. Um, And so now I think because we have so much transparency in the world of the internet and in in the world of mass media that those things don't don't happen without someone whistleblowing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I even think about Toyin. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Toyin, but she was a, I think she was a 19 year old African woman who was leading a movement, a Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I'm not sure the city that she was from, um, but she ended up getting kidnapped. She was kidnapped and and raped and killed um, after battling on the front lines for days and days and days at a time. Um, So I think, you know, we're seeing these very intentional removals of people who could actually take us somewhere in these movements. And so I think um, to mirror your point, Tiff, we could possibly see change now because uh, the veil is lifting a little in terms of how much transparency we have mm-hmm. um, towards mm-hmm. you know what the government is doing, what what mm-hmm. what white people really are doing mm-hmm. um, to try mm-hmm. to break down the movement. You know, even when you look at how many people have been getting um, lynched in the last month or so, um, people are actively putting up these. these, these lynchers photos and going after them hunting them down finally calling the police or even like showing up to their homes you know as like a like a community cohort like we're we're going to make a citizen's arrest on you because we know that you were perpetuating this racist whatever um so i i think that because of of the way that technology has advanced in this time it's going to be not easier but it's going to be a little more efficient for us to kind of move in a direction of change because so many people are aware of like the actual truth Mm -hmm. and not just the truth that is being presented to us by different media outlets. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think like things aren't going to, you can't hide things anymore. Like they're not going to go away, right? So when Mm -hmm. you're looking at like the civil rights, like you were lucky to catch something on television, but imagine if a couple of years ago, you know, that young person hadn't been there to, take that recording of George Floyd, right? right? As traumatizing as it is, I haven't seen it. But without those, that recording, 
that narrative could have been played out very differently, mm -hmm. right? That, that, and there could have been, a, there could have been an entire revisionist history right. about what happened that you just can't do when you have that, you know, that video evidence. It's, it's interesting the word usage of narrative because uh, I'm a little old fashioned with this and I think storytelling is going to assist us too with uh, whatever this change is. And I think this level of, you know, authenticity and, uh, and, and, and white folks have to own up to some of the things that their ancestors have done as well too, instead of covering it up. Uh, you know, in a sense, and kind of washing it out of history, uh, because everything, you know, that Courtney just mentioned, I can reflect back and say, oh, goodness, look how the FBI was involved with yep. a lot of that stuff as well, too. That's law mm -hmm. enforcement, right? So it's inherently, you know, in there. We don't talk about those things. We don't learn about, uh, we, we talk about things as this is so great, right? Um, but you can be great and also be flawed at the same time, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to say the least. And I think until we are able to have those honest conversations, um, you know, change won't necessarily happen. So I think storytelling is very important uh, because what's happening to, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor, uh, you mm -hmm. know, to the end that we have to really think deep about why some of these things are happening, uh, you know, in general. If this was in a suburban neighborhood, right, that was, uh, you know, very affluent whiteness, uh, you know, in a sense, would these no-not warrants happen in that manner, right. uh, you know, to say the least? Would they go in shooting? I'm sure they yeah, would right. enter into the premise, but would they go in shooting? Mm -hmm. It's almost a shoot-to-kill mentality that is in place as well, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. It's interesting um, because I actually have a friend who moved to Atlanta to become a police officer, um, and he was there for maybe a few months. I think he got out of the police academy and worked as a police officer in the field for maybe two or three months and he quit <laughs> he quit and he left um and he said you know uh even though they're very careful with their language um you can tell a lot of the superiors down there are racist um and they don't care um you can tell the differences between how they patrol certain areas um so yeah, I think that it's like, you know, there's a certain level of accountability that's not being had in these different systemic roles um, in terms of, you know, the institutions that we put in place to, to protect us. Um, so I think that there, there definitely needs to be another level of accountability added on to that. I don't even know if, if what I just said spoke to what you just said. <laughs> no, but, no yeah. it, it did. <laughs> It did. I, mean, I, I think it's a collective, right? And, and we can't just rely on the Black folks to do it. And I'm speaking more yeah. uh, importantly about Black because that's what this movement right now uh, is all about, that anti-Blackness. So it, it has to take on more. It has to take on, you know, other brown, uh, Black and brown folks, uh, mm -hmm. as well as white folks, more importantly. We have to understand, you know, our history. And I agree that, uh, you know, we should look at how can we reform the police uh, in some kind of aspect and ways. But we also need to look at the education uh, system yeah. uh, as yeah. well, because that's mm -hmm. where the police been learning some of these things yeah. from. We yeah. need to look at that piece. It's very foundational, uh, you know, to say the least. So, so, so yeah, I, I wanted to just pose out another <laughs> question just because, <laughs> y'all, we can go real deep into this uh, you know, over and over. <laughs> yeah. say, you know, you talked about narratives. It's like some I, of it starts I, with challenging those those meta narratives, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, the meta narratives that we learn about Black people. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
It's see, Tiff just tried to give me a carrot to take me back down another road <laughs> of conversation here. I, I know, I almost went there too. And I was just like, okay, I got this. But I, I wanted to know, you know, our thoughts, our collective thoughts here, and Tiff, uh, more importantly, since you're the guest here today, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts about Black Lives Matter? about the movement overall. It has received you know, a plethora of ret- uh, you know, different types of critiques from the national level, uh, from national politicians, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I guess, what are your thoughts on the movement overall? You want me to go? Because I'll talk to you. Yeah, 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 I, I know. I thought you were just taking a moment to get your thoughts together. Like, uh. no, I think they're relevant and necessary, right? Like, because again, I, you know, and I, and, you know, and I think leadership happens in a lot of different ways. I think leadership is top down, leadership is bottom up, it's grassroots. Um, and I think, you know, some people need leaders, like they need an organization, they need something, you know, an entity that they can kind of get behind. And I think, and I, and I say that to say that I don't think Black Lives Matter is, is, is perfect, right? But I think they're necessary. I think the organization is relevant, relevant. I appreciate them that they are unapologetically about, you know, um, you know, stopping the assault and the attack on like black bodies. And, you know, they're giving voice to what people who have, you know, who have been looking for voice have been looking for something to get behind. So I think they are absolutely necessary. I think they're relevant. Um, I think they're support, you know, I'm a supporter. Um, you know, again, are they perfect? Uh, no, no organizations perfect. Absolutely not. Um, but I think they're just so necessary, right? Like they are so necessary for what we're trying to do, right? When we're talking about, we have to dismantle this system of, 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 of racism and anti-blackness. And I think what happens again, you have those big things and then, you know, you have a murder and people are riled up and then folks become complacent. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that they don't allow complacency and their voices are louder now, but their voices have never been quiet, right? Like they right. have never stopped doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways they are keeping the dialogue, they're keeping the conversation, you know, they're keeping the movement, they're keeping it going. Even mm-hmm. when they didn't have the support, you know, that they had now, even from black folks, right? Um, but they kept being true and authentic to who I believe they, you know, they say they are. I mean, I think they're authentic to what their mission um, and what their values are. So, you know, I'm a, have I marched? No. Am I a supporter? I just don't march because I got a bad knee, but I am absolutely (laughs) a a supporter. Robbie, what are your thoughts about the Black Lives Matter movement? You know, uh, I, I echo that it's necessary. Uh, and I have a lot of pause when I hear, uh, you know, national leaders, um, you know, speak of it as if it is a, you know, a hate group, uh, you mm-hmm. know, to say the least. Uh, and and it goes to that narrative of anti-blackness overall in that there have been so many hate groups, uh, you know, throughout time that have just been detrimental to blackness and the black like community. However, like real, real hate groups. Yeah, I mean, I'm right. thinking about like the KKK. It just, yeah. like, like the courts even just call them wrong thinking people. I mean, I don't even yeah. know what the hell that really fully means, uh, you know, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's a hate group, you know, in, to say the least. And um, yet people always quote them as having this notion of free of speech, uh, freedom of speech and stuff too. So I think there's this 
this double-edged sword, this catch-22 when it comes to, you know, blackness overall. When, whenever black folks come together, something bad is going to happen. It is mm -hmm. something uh, that's mischievous uh, and detrimental. There is something that is going to be aggressive in nature, uh, you know, to say the least. I believe what I see from that is a takedown on unity, Black mm -hmm. unity. Uh, mm -hmm. And that when folks are, because uh, let, let's face it, Black folks are very community driven. Uh, we're, yeah. we're very community and very creative too. You know, we, I mean, it can be hot outside and we'll take something and make it into something, uh, you know, to say the yeah. least. So, so, and that's what I mean by the creativity. And I believe that, that for some reason poses a threat to individuals uh, and it's better to keep us separated. Uh, so when we talk about Black Lives Matter, I think about this, uh, you know, the, the breakdown on system. It has literally been voiced out there nowadays. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until what, like a year ago that people were okay with saying Black Lives Matter. I'm seeing all these institutions mm -hmm. starting to say Black Lives Matter. If you said that, uh, you know, about a year or two ago, yeah. it was almost like a death sentence, uh, you know, for yeah. your business and stuff. So, yeah. so those are just my thoughts. I think it's important, uh, but I think we have to be careful too with the narratives that are out there. And I actually... I don't, I'm non-apologetic, uh, excuse me, unapologetic uh, when it comes to just because one black person do something does not represent every single person that is out there. Just like we don't think when one white person do something that all white folks are, you know, racist or this blah, blah, blah uh, type of thing. So um, I think it's necessary. I think it is what is needed. Uh, and I believe they are doing a great, great movement. And I've been fortunate to participate in some of those uh, initiatives as well. Mm -hmm. Now, how about you? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're, no, oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> on okay, so you're the special guest. Go for it. Go, yeah, go ahead. But I, I think that part about like the disunity is like part of the strategy, right? Because look at the yeah. look at the FBI's yeah. campaign against Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right? Like it's it, to me, it's a similar kind of campaign, and I feel like you know that people are trying to create a narrative about Black Lives Matter that just isn't true, right? So I was mm -hmm. just. And, you know, on engaging in a conversation with a friend of mine who was having, you know, was so confused about the defunding the police. And so, well, somebody explained defunding the police to me in this way. And then I heard a Black Lives Matter speaker say that, no, it's like, no. And I said, well, you can just go straight to the Black Lives Matter website. Yep. And I'm on it right now. Their platform. And that's what I did. So I went there <laughs> and I sent the link that has their video where they talk about this is what the funding the police means. And so, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. my point to this individual is like, if you really want to know what the Black Lives Matter platform is, just go to their webpage. <laughs> like, right. it's not that difficult. They're very clear, transparent, upfront about what they want. And there's a bunch of narratives out there that people say is a Black Lives Matter position or is a Black Lives Matter narrative or is a Black Lives matter policy and it's not a black lives matter and it's there if you really want to know what black lives matter is really all about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay preach to it yeah i actually am on the website right now um because i wanted to make sure that i knew the names of the three women that started the black lives matter movement i don't even know if that's something that's heavily um publicized but the the black lives matter movement was started by three women um, whose name are Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi. Hopefully I pronounced those things right. Um, but I grew up with the Black Lives Matter movement. I think the first time I had heard of it, I was in 10th grade. Um, and 
not Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin had just gotten killed. Um, and we watched his trial unfold, pretty much my um, George Zimmerman's file um, trial unfold the duration of my 10th grade year in high school. And I actually remember us getting into an argument with our principal at the time because everyone in our school, we had to wear uniforms, but everyone in our school wanted to wear hoodies and walk around with cans of Arizona. Um, and I remember being in the hallway and one of my black teachers had to pull my principal aside and tell her, this, this is much bigger than you. This is bigger than me. Um, this is bigger than, than our school and the rules of our school. This is about, um, you know, the black community as a whole. Mm -hmm. And our students want to stand up for themselves because our school is primarily black and, and they are feeling the extent of this. And so I've been, you know, fortunate enough to see the Black Lives Matter movement kind of progress through my young adulthood. Um, and so I'll, I'll, say the same and that I think that it's necessary. I think that it was very much a catalyst for a lot of the things that we have now. Um, but I'm still a little critical of it just because I've seen, you know, firsthand how it operates. I've actually been to some Black Lives Matter chapter, Philadelphia chapter meetings. Um, you know, I've walked in Black Lives Matter marches and stuff like that. Um, and so while I do think of, think of it as being necessary, I'm very critical of people's lack of ability to incorporate women and trans identities and LGBT identities um, because it started, it started from those very identities, um, but it, it, it doesn't always incorporate those identities, if that makes sense. So I feel like that's, that's, that's kind of my only critique of it at, at this point in time is, um, you know, it, it tends to be a little focused on the male identity and, and the things mm -hmm. that happen to primarily straight black men mm -hmm. um, in the country. Like, you know, George Floyd was killed maybe not too long before Breonna Taylor or not too long after Breonna Taylor. And Breonna Taylor is kind of like drifting off to, into the wind right now. Her, her name, um, you know, the things that happened to her are not as prevalent as that of George Floyd. Um, you know, I, I don't even remember, and it's sad to say, but I don't even remember the name of the, the nine-year-old girl who got killed almost exactly the same way that Breonna got, Taylor got killed, where the police came into her house and she was asleep on the couch and she got shot. Um, but, you know, Tamir Rice is somebody that we celebrate every single year. Um, and so I would you know, as someone who actively participates in the movement, um, I would like to see more of, of the movement incorporating identities that are also marginalized, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's all about accountability, right? Because it is in all of their work, right? Like if you mm -hmm. read, if you go to their webpage and read what they say, they're really specific about like, you know, like women mm -hmm. and trans identity. And so I think yeah. some of it is where does that accountability come in in terms of living your values, right? Mm -hmm. Like living what you say to be true. And so that's my critique. So it's there in writing, it's there in their, their platform, but how does that then manifest right. in mm -hmm. real lived experience right. of, you know, Black Lives Matter? Yeah, I think the overall premise of uh, Black Lives Matter is what I feel uh, is necessary and needed, but I do have those similar critiques. And 
you know, intersectionality is very sexy and we have to uh, understand what that means uh, and what it does. And, I, and again, it goes back to that storytelling, right? Uh, you know, to say the least that there has been some things that have been filtered, uh, you know, into the community that is not necessarily acceptable, uh, but those are systemic barriers as well too, uh, you mm -hmm. know, to say the least. But uh, I agree with you is that, um, and I, I say this quite often, um, there are, this year, there's an extreme rise in the amount of trans Black women uh, mm -hmm. that have been killed, and you don't necessarily hear anything, yeah. uh, you know, about that at all. Uh, some of that uh, can be through that of law enforcement, some of that could be through that of, you know, just community members, other members, et cetera, et cetera, to say the least. I, I know that this is, a, this is a question, I don't want to uh, steer us too far off, and I'm not trying to be messy here <laughs> at all, but... And speaking about Black Lives Matter, right? Because uh, there's this trend now that people are now saying all Black Lives Matter. Not mm -hmm. to be confused with all lives matter, okay? Okay, <laughs> okay. I want to be clear there, not to be confused yeah. with it. But what that means is that there's a level of intersectionality um, that is incorporated through that. It's not just men, right, that are always yeah. talked about, um, but it's also women and it's also our trans siblings too. So um, think about what that means uh, for a hot second. But I'm curious, there's been this notion until... Um, Sociologist Tiff here. Uh, <laughs> there's been this notion, right, of uh, people always say, where is Black Lives Matter movement when all this Black on Black crime is happening, uh, oh, you know, to I say the least. And, and, you know, and it's very interesting because I was reading some stats the other day about like 85% of uh, white people that are killed are killed by 85% uh, yes. of white. Is that right? It's, yes. it's most crime happens so, interracially. <laughs> it's, it is a thing. I know. Yeah, it's oh homogenous. my gosh. So, I know, I know. So I'm curious. I, I got y'all feelings already, but uh, <laughs> I told y'all. So what are your thoughts on that though? Right, yeah. So that's always my, you know, like crime is about proximity. And so most crime is intraracial. It's yes. black on black white on white, Asian, mm -hmm. like, and the statistics support that. Yep. What I, and this is what I started with, my appreciation of um, Black Lives Matter, is they are just really, they're really intentional and strategic about what they talk about. And it's mm -hmm. not that they don't care about Black on Black violence, right? They're talking, I mean, they're really clear, like, we're talking about basically state-sanctioned violence against Black bodies. And so I'm always telling people, it's not that Black folks aren't having conversations on Black on Black crime. You're just not privy to those conversations, number one. And there are other organizations that are addressing that issue, that real right. issue about violence in communities of color, right? And so I feel like, you know, a lot of times it's this, this kind of like expectation that you know, the, these organizations, this national leadership or whatever it is, that they're going to talk about every single issue that's prevalent or important mm -hmm. to Black folks. And all that does is dilute things. So we got a whole bunch of people talking about like a whole bunch of things and we're not making any progress. And so I appreciate that Black Lives Matter is very intentional about these are the things that we are focusing on. And that's not to say that all of these other things are not important. But it's like, this is our focus. This is what we're talking about. And really what they're trying to do, at least from my understanding of even what they say and what they, is they're trying to dismantle this, this system of oppression because it is this white supremacy, right? That directly connects to crime in black communities, right? 
And so they don't, I don't even think they need to say, okay, we're going to address black on black crime or no, we're going to dismantle this system of racism, this system of oppression. We're going to dismantle white supremacy that creates the conditions, right? That causes people to jack each other for shoes, right? Or whatever. Right. And so, you know, I think in a really, um, it, it, you know, they really are in some way, they're dealing with black on black crime, right? Like they're talking yeah. about the assault on black people from a systemic standpoint and crime is just one indication of that. And so, you know, that's not something that is, that comes out in their profile, but if you understand how systems operate, you understand by the dismantling of this system is going to change all of that, right? It's going to change the violence, the crime, the poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, but I, I like that they're really intentional and very clear about not that this isn't important to us, but this is our focus and this is our goal. And there's other lots of like local organizations that are absolutely positively addressing um, that issue again, which is really a fallacy anyway, you know, of this black on black crime. They're addressing mm -hmm. crime and the conditions that lead to crime in communities. Right. Right. I think that was beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> It was. I no passion at all, huh, Till? No, no passion. <laughs> well, you know, that, that irks my soul, right? Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> Critical thinking, right? Like, so I yeah. have, oh, well, you know, cops shoot white people more than black people. And I'm like, okay, math 101. Mm -hmm. That raw mm -hmm. number means mm -hmm. nothing yeah. when your right. populations are not equal. Correct. Right. 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 So right. yes, maybe numerically they do. And they do statistically. Like, you can look at the crime reports. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't matter when whites are 60% of the population, mm -hmm. blacks mm -hmm. are 13% of the population, blacks are two and a half times more likely to be killed, shot by police, right? right? And so it's just like that basic, you know, I, I get annoyed when people don't have basic critical thinking, mm -hmm. math 101 mm -hmm. skills, right? Because mm -hmm. they use those arguments to paint this narrative, like what y'all mad about? Cops shoot white people more. Well, like... There's like, yeah, because there's yeah, more of you. <laughs> right, right. So if you're going to use numbers, you know, you got to you gotta yeah. use them correctly. Um, yeah. I think people will do that to, you know, again, try to, um, you know, paint Black Lives Matter in this negative light or to try to say that there's really, you know, no issue of like systemic, you know, racism. And there's no, you know, this isn't a country where there's, you know, where anti-blackness is a prominent ideology. And so, you know, it's like, if you're going to come and try to make those arguments, you better come correct. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Agree. Um, and so when, so when you were speaking earlier, you know, you were talking about how the community has a bunch of different resources for people to be able to address different issues. Um, and so to end off the conversation, uh, do you have any advice for, you know, students, staff, faculty, listeners in general um, about, you know, wanting to be a part of the change, but not necessarily knowing, you know, what to do? Do you have any, any way to point them or, or just, you know, general advice for how they can get involved in something that they, that they want to make change for? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of organizations out there, of course, I'm not going to name them all, but yeah. I, I think it's really a point of people thinking about what advocacy looks like for them. 
and um, and and thinking about like what role they they want to play. And so we often talk about like the civil rights movement. There there was a lot of different roles for people to play for the civil rights to be um, you know successful. And there are people who literally lost their lives, mm -hmm. right? And those are the people that we hear about, right? Those are the people. And so I think when people think about advocacy, that's what they think about. Oh my goodness, I got to be willing to risk my life for something. Maybe not really, <laughs> no, right? Because when you think about the civil rights movement, those folks who made the photocopies, right, talking about we're going to boycott the Montgomery bus system, right? Or those mm -hmm. people who drove folks around, you know, those people who, you know, they were on the front, there's a role for everybody. So I think some of it is beginning to think about what role do you want to play? Because I think people have a, a, a view, they have this kind of like, narrative about what advocacy looks like. And I think that sometimes makes people afraid. And it's like, yes, there are people who were willing to give their life for causes. And maybe that's not you, that's okay, but figure out how you, um, how you can participate and how you can contribute and recognize that any action and all action is important action. Um, and then I think it's too, thinking about what, what do you believe in? What are your values? and then finding an organization that matches the thing that you really, really care about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the way that people stay engaged. If you're, and I, and I say, just go with what, what works for you. What, if everybody's in Black Lives Matter and you may not necessarily be feeling Black Lives, then find something else, mm -hmm. right? Find some other kind of organization that's gonna help lift you know, Black folks. Um, and, and that's really what I just ask people to do. Like, that's what I encourage students to do. Find the place that's going to work for you, the space that's going to work for you, um, and then you decide what, what you're going to do, and you do it, because it's all important, because it's going to take multiple different ways of combating, right, this system of, of anti-Blackness and anti-racist, right? And there's, I think as long as you're working to be anti-Black, you know, you're working to be, like, anti-racist, there's no wrong way, you know, to do this. Um, and so I, you know, yeah, I think people have to just find the thing that works for them and then figure out how they want to engage, um, you know, in this advocacy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for just your knowledge to <laughs> your, your beautifully put words. I, I specifically advocated for you to be here because I think you have a level of relatability with our students to where, where they would be very happy to hear from you in times like this, very comforted by the things that you have, have to say. Time. I'm glad. I'm so glad that you came. <laughs> I know it's your first time. How was it for you? It's, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm glad you all can't see me. <laughs> You can only hear me. You, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, I think that we're gonna we're gonna end on that note. Yes, we yes, thank yes. everybody for coming to give us a listen. We appreciate you all. We hope that you all are thriving in the in the midst of these times, in the midst of these very trying times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we will be coming out with new episodes for the next few weeks. I um, talk about. Thank you to both of you for hosting this <laughs> and you know providing yes. this opportunity for students to have these opportunities to yes. engage in these conversations. I appreciate you both. 
Well, thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Tiff, do you have any kind of social media you want to uh, just throw out there if people want to follow you on? Oh, okay. Or you're like, well, maybe not when I just thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. said, the FBI come get me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know. <laughs> okay. 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 Carry on. Carry on. Um, Rodney, do you know what our topic is next week? So we're going to start having a conversation uh, within the next uh, time frame about this notion of how whiteness, uh, you know, can accelerate and help the movement of this. So how is vulnerability a piece of it as well, too? So we would be having a special guest that would assist us um, with that conversation. Uh, and I really look forward to that as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about the notion of, of whiteness in the midst of all of this. Yes. So. <laughs> and to kind of dismantle that notion of uh, white fragility, white guilt. Uh, mm. And nowadays, uh, I believe the cool kids are uh, speaking of it as the Ken and Karen syndrome type mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> and so, so yeah, so how do we have those type of conversations as well? Yeah. <laughs> So next week is going to be pretty great. Uh, we want you guys all to tune in and we are happy that you are here. So if you want to follow us, I am on Instagram as court underscore Thompson, but I'm probably going to change that to at Coach McGoats just to make it a little bit easier for everybody. Um, and I am at Coach McGoats on Twitter. Yes. So friends, I am very easy. I'm New Pratt, N-U-P-R-A-D, on every single thing uh, that is existing within social media. So feel free to hit us up and also check out our different programs and stuff that are hosted by the Office of Institutional Diversity at Temple Diversity on all major social media platforms. So it's been great and we love you all. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Have a good one.